0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arby Road podcast here on a Monday night with myself, Dermot Kavanagh,
1: and Paco Rutante. Paco, how are you doing? Hey there. Uh, everything good? Uh, really happy to be here in this special day. All good, exactly.
0: Happy International Women's Day to everyone at home. Um, we hope you've been celebrating. Now, whether you're gone to the march or not, we decided to give it a skip this year, but I'm sure there are demonstrations uh, organized all over the world. I hope everyone's doing something to mark the day. And Paco, we're going to start tonight with talking about a new initiative from the EU, from von der Leyen herself, regarding the gender pay gap. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so first of all, just to clarify, we are not in the March for health COVID reasons, but we are there with them in spirit, let's say. Uh, and hopefully, uh, we will participate next year. It's particularly inter- important this year for what is happening uh, mm-hmm. in Poland. We talk about it uh, um, on our Road, uh, we talk about it in the past weeks, uh, and also with uh, Moretti last week. So, uh, it's really important this year, the 8th of March. Uh, on the 4th of March, von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, launched this initiative, this proposal. Uh, basically presented a directive at the european parliament to strengthen the application of the principle of uh, equal pay for equal work and the uh, proposal will now be discussed uh, at the eu parliament and then by the sequel nation state so what is a directive a directive is a legal document um, but differently from uh, other laws and other uh, measures this basically Establishes a principle. So, like the states are required to do something, in this case, uh, reduce the gender pay gap, uh, but uh, without, it does this without dictating the means to achieve the results. So, this could be, um, well, in, in a way, it's of course a really good initiative if it's going to be approved. In the other, it remains on the national state how to enact this and these, uh, uh, yeah something perhaps more strict, something perhaps more normative uh, uh, could be better. The interesting bit, in my opinion, is this: uh, um, in the, that part, as part of the proposals for the employers, which have more than 250 employees, these employers will be forced to make public their data about the uh, gender pay gap in their um, companies. And uh, if the gender pay gap, uh, let's remember, uh, otherwise Georgia will kill us. That the gender pay gap is the difference in uh, the hourly wage for a man, between a man and a woman. So if the difference between what should, what women employees, uh, employees and men employees earn is more than five percent, basically a procedure will start. And uh, and if the of course the employees cannot justify this with uh, logical reasons with uh, um, objective reasons, uh, a procedure will start, and together with the trade unions, they will be forced to change uh, the wage. So, I think it's a really interesting proposal, uh, and I think um, could lead not, not only to this, but also the fact that they're public you know, you, it could make that people know which employees, employers are more careful, are more uh, sensible to gender equality than others, and
0: so that can help, I think. Yeah, making things public is definitely extremely important. Excuse me. I wonder though, Paco, to me, it doesn't sound like enough, to be honest, you know, Um, it's just a directive, as you said, the obligation is still on each individual nation to apply the rule as they interpret it. You know, it's not very strict. We're about to come out of a, well, hopefully this year or early next year, we come out of the pandemic, the furlough schemes that have been helping people stay economically afloat are going to vanish and it's going to affect women disproportionately like it always does you know would you have like to see the eu go one step further
1: surely yeah no definitely definitely especially as we said also in the past edition the pandemic like the weight of uh, economic weight of the pandemic was not paid by both genders equally Mm-hmm. uh women lost way more jobs and uh, especially in countries where their situation was already bad where they were uh, already working less than men the uh, gender gap uh, increased ulteriorly so definitely especially i think it's time for the eu to make some more concrete measures like economic measures because in the end uh, i i believe that a big part of this is also economic like in the sense of uh, it's doesn't make sense too much to punish the employers uh, at least talking with uh, the people the sensation is that nobody you know privileges well there is still of course a sort of um, prejudice uh, and uh, um, there are a lot of cultural factors which make so that uh, employers pay men employees more Mm -hmm. but my sensation is that also there are also economic reasons for which like you know for example maternity Uh, maternity leaves and all this kind of uh, uh, rights of women like make it more expensive for the employer and perhaps in a market where you have a lot of competition and a lot of uh, difficulties that is a further uh, difficulty for an employer that uh, becomes difficult you know to hire sometimes. Uh, a yeah. or to pay her the same. So I think the European Union should should step in and do some concrete economic measures. Uh, that's my point to guarantee that this is possible equality.
0: Yeah, the, the changes when it comes to enforcing these, this kind of equality, which it's necessary, you know, um, it's not really surprising that they don't do enough because I've just I've got a few numbers here I want to run by you, Paco. There are only 25 female heads of states or heads of governments, so there are a total of 25 chancellors, presidents, prime ministers, only 25 of them are female in the world. In 2019, only 31% of parliament members in EU member states were women and only 27% of board members at the largest European public companies were female. So I think there's a massive problem with underrepresentation because until you have enough women in the decision-making process, the decisions aren't gonna be fair for women. And we've seen it again, and we're gonna see further fallout over the next year, maybe even the next decade from the pandemic. Women have been bearing the brunt of housework while simultaneously homeschooling kids or making sure kids are going to school on the laptop. There's been an increase of up to 35% in most EU countries of reports of domestic violence during domestic abuse, I should say, during the pandemic. And 67% of those people said that COVID contributed to this abuse. So there's a, there's a whole other pandemic within this pandemic of gender violence, gender inequality. And I was hoping the EU would do more than just a directive this time. Um, but it's a, it, maybe it's not a leap in the right direction, but it's a step in the right direction.
1: We won't uh... do more like anyway, uh, as you say, like, I think the situation is that bad that they will have to enact some extraordinary, uh, we discussed this a little bit with Moretti, uh, the Mm. member of the European Parliament uh, uh, last week, and she as part of the recovery fund is going to be particularly important that those resources are allocated, in my opinion, to contribute to to reduce uh, this dramatic situation that you were portraying. uh,
0: yeah, no, you're dead right. It's um, we do need drastic enough steps. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's turn to Germany because something has happened. Something happened last Wednesday, Paco. That hasn't happened since the Nazis were around. Can you tell us what it was?
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, but basically, the uh, alternative for Deutschland, the German far right party, was uh, placed under surveillance uh, uh, on the 3rd of March by the Germany's Federal Office for the Protection of the Constitution. Basically, the party is considered a threat to uh, the democratic election. Uh, and uh, uh, is based is put under surveillance uh, uh, by the German secret services, which is, of course, really worrying, of course, is the first time, uh, as you were saying, since World War Two, where uh, there is there are phenomena of extremism in Germany, particularly in the in East German, Eastern Germany. Uh, the AfD got a lot of consent in the past years, and it's not the first time that they were they are sort of uh, uh, they they get they are a particular preoccupation I would say for the entire continent. There were episodes of violence. There were episodes of um, you know open Racism, open uh, propaganda, mm-hmm. neo-fascist propaganda. Yeah. Uh, so continues this I, as part of a, a general portrait of uh, uh, the right wing, far right in Europe, which is growing and is worrying, and uh, is time to act. And so hopefully this kind of uh, um, surveillance will help. Unfortunately, though, uh, actually, there is an ongoing legal dispute for which uh, the Tribunal of Cologne uh, stopped the actually the secret services from uh, doing so because they the, the accusation is that they didn't do enough uh, to keep the news uh, secret because on the 3rd of March many German newspapers gave the news and international newspapers of this surveillance so is temporarily blocked, hopefully only temporarily. You'd really expect the secret
0: service to be better at keeping secrets, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, One would think that this was a a move uh, to, you know, for for propaganda, especially to discredit the party, which, you know, as as we said last time, uh, there is always a subtle line. No, we were talking about it with Hazel uh, Mm -hmm. between enforcing, like protecting the democracy and abusing of, uh, uh, like limiting the freedom of speech. In my opinion, that line is hate speech. When there is a hate speech, but hate speech, well, also there, there is a subtle line because one thing is uh, doing extremist hate speech against, uh, you know, races or against the uh, part of the population. Another thing is make a, a satire, you uh, know, sort of, uh, of course, uh, yeah. musical critique. So it's a really subtle line that needs to be. Um, I mean the threat,
0: the threat must be pretty serious if the the BFV, which are the, the German secret service, if they've decided to label them as a potential threat, it's they're probably past that line, I would imagine, because I can't imagine they would want to do this, make this announcement, unless they were pretty sure that there was a real threat coming, no?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. And that, that was my point. So like one thing is a, a singer like uh, Pablo Zel we saw in uh, Spain, yeah, who makes a song against the state, and that is definitely excessive. Another thing is here we are talking about a party, which is basically suspected of you know trying to restore fascism in yeah. Germany. <laughs> that is a serious threat that needs to you know better to be over. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean there's no yeah, that. <laughs> there's no gray there's no gray area here. They're openly anti-Islam. They're openly anti-migrant. They're extreme, extremely yeah. extreme, you might say. And but again, it is definitely good that the case has been held up in court because if you're not sure, you cannot operate surveillance. You can't put oper- uh, surveillance operations in place unless you're sure about these things. So let's see, hopefully we get the right results from the court and we'll know the truth at least about what's that been exactly. happening. Um, let's stay over on the right wing because it's where all the it's where all the entertainment is these days. And uh, you want to tell us Porter. about our favorite our favorite man Orban in Hungary. What's happened with him in the last week?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Victor once again makes speak uh, about himself. Um, basically what happened is that he finally withdrew his party from the center-right grouping in the European Parliament, so he left the conservatives. In fact, this was uh, a heading off um this was adding off basically a move to expel them uh, over democratic backsliding at home that was already ongoing within the conservative party uh, so it would have been probably expelled in any case yeah it's actually so uh, what what actually is really strange and like you know uh, we are a progressive foundation but of course We believe in the right to everyone to have their own position. We respect conservative and liberal positions. But it's really worrying that uh, someone like Orban was allowed to remain in the conservative European party for so long, someone who clearly, clearly didn't have respect for the fundamental uh, values of the European Union. And he clashed with the EU uh, so many times. And in a way, being part of the conservative party helped him uh, to be shielded from uh, any serious uh, um, penalty, basically. So on the one hand is a really good news uh, that finally the Conservatives are you know, taking the situation of uh, like the democracy more seriously in the European Union. We criticized many times the European Union for being more careful about you know, economic uh, policies than this kind of more serious uh, policies and lately it seems that uh, the situation is a bit changing the same with the recovery fund you know where respecting the rule of law is going to be one of the fundamental uh, criteria to get uh, to receive resources
0: yeah it's gonna be it'll it'll be pretty interesting to see what he does next with with fides with the party because okay they've left the epp the european people's party but a lot of that is pr- pretty clearly down to the fact that merkel is about to leave merkel and orban had a pretty good working relationship that was mutually beneficial merkel got more votes for her policies in the european parliament and orban was able to legitimize himself by being a member of the biggest group in the european parliament now merkel is about to stand down in the springtime mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see first of all is he going to align Fidesz with another group in the european parliament or is he going to go is he going to double down on the whole nationalistic rhetoric to reinforce his position in hungary because they say in hungary now that he's his he's in the biggest most dangerous moment since he took over in 2010
1: yeah definitely definitely um i would say that there is the risk of course like what, what worries us is the risk that sort of all these extremist um, parties sort of find a unity and uh, re- self reinforce mm-hmm. each other. and in the in the end Orban was already an extremist. It's not that leaving the Conservative Party will make it uh, no, him I, an extremist. No, so, and it's
0: not it's not even the most important group for him because he ha- he mm-hmm. has alliances that he cares about mm-hmm. much more on that side of Europe to his yeah. to his south if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And, no, no, and the EU is great, the EU pays for a lot of
1: stuff, <laughs> but <sighs> yeah, and I would say also that the contradiction uh, within the, you know, sovereignists, the so-called sovereignist group are emerging now and like, you know, they were sort of, they pretended there were not before, but now that with the recovery fund, for example, now, now that. Economic policy are starting to come out. For example, even uh, we we discuss about Le- Lega Nord, who voted in mm-hmm. favor of the recovery plan, and they are a bit splitting. The concern, the the extremist like this sort of sovereignist group seems to be splitting. Uh, the danger is there, though. Like so, we we need to be careful. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure what Orbán is going to do. Probably, we would need a Hungarian. I would say uh, someone.
0: What a coincidence, Paco. You've brought you've brought us nicely along to what will be the next podcast, which will be out on Friday, where we're going to have an expert to talk about this. And we're going to deep dive. We've done a lot of... We've done a lot of small reports about Orban, about Hungary. This is the week we're going to go in and we're going to focus on it for the podcast. So I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Good man. (laughs) Of course, without... uh...
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think we're more or less there for today, Paco. Um, Thanks a million for joining me as always and yeah we'll be back on friday to talk more about orban and hungary and fidesz leaving the epp and happy international women's day to everybody happy international women's day bye bye